1: Hello, and welcome to episode 120 of the Bronx Beat Podcast. I'm your host, E.J. Fagan. Tonight, I'm joined by the editor-in-chief of Start Spraying the News, Paul Semeniger.
2: Hello, E.J. How are you, my friend?
1: And Mr. Scott Moss. Hey, guys. So we got bad news. No Tawny.
2: No Tawny. Yeah, heartbreaker. No,
1: yeah, you know, I, I really thought, I, in my heart, I thought they were going to get him. And when I heard that he's only considering West Coast teams, it, it did it hurt. It hurt a little bit. I was a little disappointed.
0: How about you guys?
2: Well, you know what? I I okay, was. You, you go first, Scott. Go ahead. You go first.
0: So, what, what I remember is in 1997, the way they got Hideki Irabu was that Irabu <laughs> was sent to the San Diego Padres. And then he said, I don't want to play for the Padres. I want to play for the Yankees. And the Padres tried to explain to him, that's not how this works. We actually own your contract. You can't just choose to be a free agent. And his response was something like, screw you, trade me to the Yankees. And they did. So in a way, it's just maybe karma, as strange as this is, that Otani, while being massively underpaid, wants to consider smaller market teams like a Seattle or San Diego, where he can't even get as much endorsement money or whatnot. But, you know, there's karma for getting the great prize of Hideki Arabu, I guess, from the Padres in 97 when we didn't deserve him.
1: <laughs> and and before, before I get Paul's reaction, we have to remember that Hideki Arabu gave us Aaron Judge <laughs> uh, through the crazy web of trades that started with him being sent for, I think it was like Jake Westbrook and friends. Uh, and eventually that got to Nick Swisher, which, who became Aaron Judge's draft pick, who became Aaron Judge. So I'm cool with it.
0: Thank you, Butterfly Effect, for that. Yeah,
1: right. Uh, And part of me wants Aaron Judge to retire as a Yankee. Part of me wants the Yankees to trade him right before he gets (laughs) free agency just so we can keep the trade going. Um Paul what did you think about Otani? <laughs>
2: well, heartbroken, disappointed. I figured if he was coming to America, he wanted to, you know, break baseball and set a brand new paradigm. The hitting pitcher, the DHing pitcher, it was going to be and it should be still a whole lot of fun. And I figured if he wanted to do that and if he wanted to set a brand new trend, you you would want to do that in New York under the bright lights of the big city. Um I I go back all the way. This is funny because I'm also going to talk about the Padres. All the way back to 1984, when the baseball landscape was a lot more equal as far as monies and things like that. But one thing you cannot uh, uh, put, you know, they have the luxury tax or the salary cap, or whatever you want to call it, and um, to try to equalize things. But one thing you can equalize is geography. And back in the early 80s, the Padres, because San Diego is such a beautiful place, great weather. Uh, And they were willing to pay guys at the time were loading up on all sorts of great players like Greg Nettles and Goose Gossage and Steve Garvey. And it took them all the way to the World Series. And it just feels like we're sort of going back to that type of uh, an environment where the money, since it's all going to be equal for Otani, he said, I'm going to pick where I want to play rather than just go chasing the money. So sort of same idea in a different way. What goes around comes back again.
1: Yeah, you know, I think. That's the right attitude to have. The wrong attitude to to have is the New York Daily News attitude or the attitude I kind of saw a little bit on Twitter, which was feeling betrayed that Otani chose not to come to New York City. Uh, That is just dumbass, like punditry right there. And I get that the New York Daily News is trying to sell newspapers and they think it's going to sell newspapers. It's still stupid and it's still childish. And yeah, it sucks that Otani did not pick New York, but... You know, Otani decided he wanted to be in the West Coast and he decided that he wanted to be in a smaller market. That, that's perfectly logical. It makes perfect sense. It's not – we don't deserve Otani more than any, any other team deserves him.
0: You know what that reminds me of is there's an episode of Friends where Ross broke up with this much younger woman he was seeing who was his student. So it was really creepy and all. It was before the Me Too movement. And then he left breaking up with her and he was thinking, boy, she dealt with that so maturely. Maybe I made a mistake. And then she throws a water balloon at him from the window. And he walks away saying, yep, that was the right call. And I feel like if I'm Otani thinking, I don't know about playing in New York. And I turn it down, I might be thinking, boy, was that the right call? And then you get this total a-hole reportage, which is basically as if Trump has a dumber, younger brother who's a ju- sports journalist. And you think, yep, right call. No New York when I read that sort of garbage.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I, part of me, part of me, I mean, look, Otani's a fun player and I want him in, in New York. Part of me thinks we might have dodged a bullet. Uh, when you read the Otami scouting reports, he sounds like a pitcher, a little bit like Nathan Neivaldi. Um and as a hitter, some people have some doubts that he could be better than even like than like a Madison Bumgarner type. And if you were committing important roster spots to that player, it is a bit of a risk. I think it's worth the risk because he could turn out to be Babe Ruth, um, or he could or it could at least turn out to be a unique player that that gives the Yankees a big advantage. Um, and I would love to have him on the team, but part of me, just the back of my head, goes. Maybe we're better off with conventional strategy.
0: I kind of agree in that, look, he was definitely, almost definitely going to be worth the money unless he blows out his elbow. Because to be worth a 20 million posting fee, then what, uh, you know, three and a half million or something, you really don't have to be more than a fifth starter in the majors. But the way it could hurt is let's say, as part of this weird wooing process where everybody had to write him a love letter from each of the 30 teams. And then he decided he has seven. He's down to seven that he's giving a rose to, or whatever process he's going with now. You're worried that though teams can't contractually bind themselves to say you're the DH two out of five days or something like that, there is sure to be sort sure of be a handshake or an understanding that you're a halftime DH or once a week right fielder if you really want to do that. And if, like you're saying, he's just not quite good enough as a hitter. And there was another – there was one arguably two-way player. I'm drawing a blank on his name. He's on the Diamondbacks and <laughs> he's on the tip of my tongue. But he actually was a – Micah Owings. Yes. Micah yeah. Owings. And he, he actually got worse as a hitter as, t- as the years went on. And he wasn't getting much older. He just wasn't good enough to stay in the bigs. I think what you're seeing is that among the reasons it's hard to be a two-way player is that if you're hitting very little and mostly focusing on pitching – then you're 100 at bats or 150 at bats, you're still less focused on baseball than the backup infielder who gets 100, 150 at bats because that guy's at least taking batting practice. So the danger with Otani is not that he's too bad a pitcher to be worth his very limited money. It's that you sort of feel morally bound to keep him hitting even if he's hitting about 250 with 12 home runs a year. And then you can actually erase a lot of his pitching value or you're going to have to bench him and he'll feel like you went back on the deal.
1: It's like a good for the good of baseball kind of thing, you know. It, it, not just the deal, but you know, I feel like we'd be letting the letting the fans down if we didn't if we didn't let Otani hit as well as as well as pitch.
2: Um, yeah, and it would be fun. It would it would be it's going to be a blast. And if he can pull it off, it, it's 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 just going to be the greatest thing in the world. But he doesn't owe New York anything. And um, you know, sometimes as Yankee fans, we we start to think that that's what everybody thinks. Everybody thinks the way they the way we do, but they don't. And you made a good point about the New York Daily News, uh, you know, just making us look stupid as New York <laughs> fans and people in New York. And, and we do this to ourselves uh, as as a, as a conglomerate fan base. I think it was Cliff Lee. yep, yep. Wasn't it when uh, he, his wife was sitting in Yankee Stadium and the Yankee fans were jerky to her? Now, why would you do that when this is the guy you want to come to your team as a free agent? He's like, well, why would I go to New York? I would never go play there. And you go, huh? <gasps> You know, and, and in fact, and I think it goes all the way back to uh, Ken Griffey when he was a Yankee and the Yankees weren't nice to Ken Griffey Jr. or something. And, and when he was a little kid and you know, like you're not allowed in the clubhouse and here's this great talent who then says, you know, great future talent. He's just a kid at the time, but he says, I'll never play for the Yankees. Hey, at least we, we can at least say <laughs> and, you know, that uh, we're not as
1: bad as Baltimore booing Mark to like seven years after he didn't sign with them. Yeah, that's uh, still, so that was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> Otani, I had a quick question for you guys. So Otani, let's say he's probably going to either Seattle or San Diego. Maybe there's another option. But just all that's being equal, not just as a baseball fan, would you prefer he go to a National League team or an American League team? Uh, what, what would you guys – would you like to see him hit uh, You know, hit. Well, – let's say if he goes to a National League team, he'll obviously hit when he's, when he's pitching. Maybe he'll pinch hit a little bit, but he won't start in the outfield that often. Whereas if he goes to an American League team, he'll DH two every days a week. Which of those would you guys prefer?
2: I, I would like to see him go to Seattle. And I, the more he bats, the more fun it will be and the more exciting it will be. And and uh, I posted an idea on my blog oh, probably about 10 days ago that if he has a mediocre but okay uh, season as a pitcher and a pretty good year as a hitter, not nothing great, 15, 16 home runs and maybe he goes – just to use old-fashioned, uh, traditional stats, maybe he goes fourteen and and an eight or something, and he's the first true two-way player, and he helps the the Seattle Mariners win. Does that make him an MVP candidate with mediocre numbers, but doing something that's truly valuable, doing it on both sides of the ball as a pitcher? It'd, it'd be kind of cool. So uh, the more he hits, the better for me. That's what I that's what I want to see.
0: Scott, yeah, I I agree. I think it'd be more fun to see him bat more, because the world in which Shohei Tani not only is getting 32 starts a year, but 300, 400 bats, as opposed to he gets 150, but boy, the high leverage of the National League is actually more exciting, because then you actually have this guy being two players. On the other hand, I've been persuaded by the articles that totally turned me around on which league could use him more. I think he'd be more valuable than National yeah. League, some pieces persuaded me, because he would be... I'm um, hitting less overall, but a number of his at-bats would be in place of a normal hitting pitcher. So roughly speaking, about a 100 of his at-bats every year are going to be a tremendous boost because if he's a subpar major league hitter, 250 with 12 runs a year, that's a tremendous boost for those 100 at-bats over the average pitcher. So he could get fewer bats but internationally he could have three to four at-bats when he starts, but then he can get, say, three pinch hits, on other days and then he'll dh when they play in the american league i think there's room for him to get 200 250 at bats in the national league so in 250 so let's say he's a, almost a halftime player so i think he get enough but you're right paul it'd be more even if it's more valuable to a national league team probably by a little bit it'd be more fun to just see him playing more as a non-pitcher which is al all right and now there's like him to the yankees i don't care who gets more value out of him i just want the fun of watching him
1: all right. Otoni talk is over. Unfortunately, he's not going to be a Yankee. We're going to have to watch him from afar. Maybe hate him if he's playing against <laughs> us. Uh, the, uh, the important question now is what do we do now that we're not going to get Shohei Otani? So he would have solved basically two, the two open roster spots on the Yankee roster all by himself, starting pitcher and designated hitter. Now the Yankees need to consider their options for both. Let's start with, I think, the simpler one, which is starting pitcher. It appears right now that uh, the um, uh, the 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 last starting pitcher spot is coming down to between signing CC Sabathia and signing Alex Cobb. Uh, the Alex Cobb is projected by MLB trade rumors to get something around the around the li- around the lines of like four years, fifty million dollars. CC Sabathia, I think he's probably a one year, eighteen million dollar kind of deal. Uh, what do you, what do you guys thought? What are your thoughts of these two of the two? Which would you rather sign? I'll let Scott go first.
0: I like Sabathia on a one-year deal just because he seemed to turn around and I kind of buy it. He, um, And it's not just that he got lucky and had a couple months of no knee pain. It seemed like he really learned to pitch through it because he was saying it did hurt at times. And I feel like almost no free agent pitcher contracts end well because if you're young and good, you're getting too many years, so you're bad at the back end. And if you're – Older and getting only three years, well, there's probably a reason for it. So anything with the quantity of pitchers they have, I feel like the order of business with pitchers isn't for them right now, especially with Tanaka staying in for years. The order of business isn't plug long-term holes. It's tied themselves over until they sort through Chance Adams, one of the Domingos, a bunch of other guys, uh, just a Sheffield. Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. Well, exactly. Better options, better options next year. So I'd probably go with Sabathia
2: and just – Save up the money elsewhere.
1: Uh, Paul, what do you think?
2: Oh, you're going to be thinking I'm much too boring, but I have to agree. You know what? If they get Alex Cobb and and, and the Yankees are getting like the Yankees of old and they go out and they grab great people and that and Alex Cobb doesn't prevent them from doing something next winter or at the trade deadline if 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 a big name becomes available, yeah, then I'm all for it. But I think at this point their minor league system is so stacked that um, – there's not even enough room for these guys as it is, so I'd rather uh, give CC the the opportunity to be the fifth starter, and, and maybe during the year, one of the young guys, Chance Adams, comes up and replaces him. And you don't have to see. Feel bad I'm not about even it.
1: convinced that that Cobb is better than Sabathia right now. So they both had similar ERAs last year by by StatCast's ex-WOBA statistic. Sabathia was better uh, than Cobb. Um, in fact, Cobb probably got a little bit lucky according to ex-WOBA, last year. Uh Sabathia has his own injury concerns, but so does Alex Cobb. Alex Cobb is coming off of Tommy John surgery. And maybe that means he'll get better as he regains his old abilities. Maybe that means he's a higher injury risk uh, because of, the, because of the, the Tommy John surgery. If they were both for one year, you, I'd probably you know, push come to shove say Alex Cobb is a better pick for next year. But they're not both for one year. Alex Cobb is going to require, like you guys said, a long-term commitment. And in that in that scenario, you give me CC Sabathia. The Yankees don't need to fill pitching slots for the next four years. They they have pitchers coming up, which we're going to talk about later in this podcast. We don't need to 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 kind of crazy things up here a little bit. So- uh, so yeah, give me CeCe Sabathia. Yeah. I mean, I'll, if if you have if you're a tie between those two players, give me the the guy who's been on the team, won a World Series with us, is a fan favorite, is a leader in the clubhouse. Like, I'll take that guy over over the random guy from the Rays.
0: Yeah, and you know, going further on this, I think well, I think we all agree on Sabathia, but I think it wouldn't be upset at all if they get Cobb. I think that'd be a good signing because well, two things. First, Cobb was actually much better in August, September. I looked up just before the podcast on your theory, EJ, that you could gain strength or gain back your command. And he was actually old Alex Cobb in his strikeout rates in August, September, which is enough sample size. And is credible enough that once it's been basically a year back, because he got back in late 2016 by late 2017, he was himself again. So I think he's good. I think he's better than CC, but he's not better enough to tie up the money for four, if not five years and then suddenly you have a little less money going forward for the big free agent class of the next year. But I go further. I wouldn't be upset if they get him because Alex Cobb could get half of what you Darvish guess. And I think they could be about the same guy. They're the same age. They both after a full 2014 season had Tommy John and they came back in are good, but maybe not hundred percent of what they were before. And Darvish is a year older. So the smart money seems to be saying that Darvish is the premier free agent on the market and he'll get 150 plus million and Fangrefs, uh thinks he's going to get 130 to 170 million, whereas they're saying that um, Cobb is going to get more like four years and half the price. I, would, I think Cobb would be relatively a bargain at that price. I just, you know, so the more I think about it, I, I might be equal as between him and a one year for CC, but certainly I think it'd be a solid move to get him for what appear to be the going rates.
1: Uh, Paul, uh, would you take you Darvish over either of these guys or do you also kind of rule out you rule Dar- uh, Darvish?
2: Oh, you uh, Darvish is, is not even an option for me. Yep. If the Yankees are committed to the luxury tax and they are, then it's, and, and if we if we have the time to argue this later, maybe I would. But if you're going to get some super unbelievable megastar and I don't think you Darvish is that guy going. He's over 30 years old and he's going into his decline year soon. I'm not paying a long term uh, deal for him. Uh, I you definitely don't pay this kind of money for you uh, Darvish. I, I think you Darvish
1: has bigger name value than he actually has value on the field.
2: I mean, he has yeah. he's been
1: he's been either injured or not good for most of his career. He had a really good near Cy Young season, his second season in the majors, and every other season has been below par. Um, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about a guy who's been worth. 3.2, 2.5, 3.3, or like four wins max over the last couple of years. I just don't – I have no interest in that. And I think, Paul, you're right. The luxury tech situation precludes that 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 from happening. They can afford Alex Cobb, at least the projections that, that people have for Alex Cobb right now. Uh, they can't really afford anyone more expensive than that, uh, I think. Um, so it sounds like we're, we're pretty well set on starting pitching. Um, we'll talk a little bit about call-ups, maybe a little bit later in the show. But DH, I think, is much more interesting. So uh, Otani may not have been the all of the solvency at DH, but he he would have been your primary DH had you signed him. And now the Yankees don't have a primary DH. I, Matt Holly, M- Matt Holiday is probably not coming back. Uh, for all the odd odd amount of like drama over what number Aaron Boone would wear, um, maybe it's a signal that he took Matt Holiday's number. Uh, that the Yankees have no interest in bringing him back. And I don't think there's any indi- there ever any indication that they would have an interest in bringing him back. If the season started today, your designated hitter would essentially be whoever your fourth outfielder is. So de facto, Jacoby Ellsbury, and that's unacceptable. So I'm gonna. I have a we have a bunch of names here. We've discussed some of them on the podcast before, so I don't want to kind of belabor them. Uh, some some that we haven't talked in talk, talked in you know as much detail. Um, that we can we can discuss as, as, as potential names. Before I do that, what do you guys want in a DH? Do you want a full-time, not necessarily David Ortiz type, but somebody who's Matt Holiday last year type, who's primarily just playing for a, a DH and maybe fills in in the corner outfields or first base? Or do you want maybe a more part-time kind of DH where you're rotating in players and maybe you go and get a, a better outfielder um, and then you start roti- rotating in outfielders or
2: something like that? Okay. Oh. Uh- you know what? I think it all depends on how that team is constructed at the time. I'm a big fan. If I had a big poppy in his prime of having him as my DH, i I think that's a great thing to do. I don't think the Yankees
1: <laughs> or, or, or in it when he's 40,
2: <laughs> I don't want that when he, when he's, when he's past his prime. Um, but the, the way the Yankees are currently situated, they have five outfielders, Clint Frazier, Jacoby Ellsbury, Aaron judge, Aaron Hicks, and Brett Gardner. Um, Except for Ellsbury, those other four guys, I'd like to see them playing every day. And if you come up with some type of a rotation, one of them is your DH. I also want to see that uh, Miguel Andujar get a shot at third base. If not to start the season, I want him coming up during the season, which would then make him a third baseman or a DH. But you don't want to DH a kid so young, which then gives you um, uh, Chase Headley. And if they really wanted to go out and pay money for somebody, Todd Frazier would love to come back. I think Um, I wouldn't necessarily bring him back, but if you want to do that as some type of insurance, a third base, first base and uh, an occasional DH, I think they're set. I don't think you need to go out again, unless you're going to go out and get some type of a blockbuster, crazy superstar player. I, I think they're all set. I'm not going to spend a lot of money on a DH.
0: Scott basically agree. I would probably value versatility there because they do have some guys who could use some rest. So I think Jacoby Ellsbury is no longer an everyday player but for a couple seasons Gardner has seemed to maybe slow down a bit as a high effort defender and base runner who is getting pretty old and then you also have Headley who just seems brittle and alternates between he'll hit 400 for a month and he'll hit 100 and the difference seems to be when he's banged up or his back is not right. Greg Bird isn't old but he may actually just be injury prone at this point. He's at the foot, he's at the back. So there's value in never again having to do things um, like have your have Ronald Torres either play first base or play at third, then you put Headley at first, and then functionally you're having Torres instead of a first base bat, that sort of thing. So if you can get someone who can play third and first or outfield and first, I think that lets you rest guys and ensures you against... Having to play garbage if some guy needs some rest or is out for a couple of weeks. Yeah,
1: I'm with you there. I think that's predicated on being able to get rid of Ellsbury um, because I think I, I don't think you can carry both Ellsbury and like a fifth outfielder at that point. Just the, the roster gets weird, or, or Ellsbury just doesn't play that much. Um, so I, I, I think that there, I think there are trade targets in there for Asian agent targets. I think both are interesting. Uh, so we've talked about the first one on my list uh, quite a bit on, uh, on this podcast. So let's not take too much time on this. But Carlos Santana. So Carlos Santana hit last year, uh, last season. He hit uh, uh, 363 on base percentage, 455 slugging percentage. Interestingly, he was better as a left-handed uh, hitter than as a right-handed hitter, which is I mean that's useful. He was almost a 900 OPS guy as a left-handed hitter, uh, so that's pretty good. Likely good for for Yankee Stadium. It looks like he's actually been hurt a little bit by his home ballpark, so maybe he does even better in Yankee Stadium. Um, he is a free agent. He's probably somewhere in the uh, along the lines of like a four year contract. What do you guys think about Carlos Santana?
2: Nice player. Um, I'm not jumping up and down over him. You know, I, I I think when you have a 13 or 14 man pitching staffs nowadays, you need to have more flexibility and to tie up a guy who's just going to DH. You know, what what else is he going to play? A little first base. Besides that, um, and I'm not a big fan.
0: Scott I like him compared to some other guys in the market so I think Eric Hosmer looks slated to be badly overpriced same for Jay Bruce it's possible Hosmer and Bruce won't get what they're asking but um Santana seems like he could be underpriced but maybe the market will catch up but yeah I think that he's a good option in that he might not need that many years because he's a little older it seems like and you know the predictions are for prices that are affordable for him by today's standards uh Something like fifteen million or I guess sixteen million for three years or four years, which isn't going to break the bank. But like Paul noted, positional flexibility is hard when you have a pure DH in addition to bird your first baseman and a brittle third baseman. So I think to merge that with your comment, EJ, I think Santan is a good option if you don't have Ellsbury on the roster because then you don't have a guy who's just taking up space. Because if you don't have Ellsbury, then Clint Frazier, Hicks, they're not totally spare part outfitters. The guys are of their uses as pinch runners, pinch hitters, play somewhat regularly rounded into the uh, rotation out there. So you can afford one guy who just has no versatility whatsoever. So I'd say you have more flexibility for Santana or another pure first base DH type if you get rid of Ellsbury. Uh, So
1: I'm basically with you there. I want to just Briefly talk about Clint Frazier. I think it's a bad outcome, regardless of, of Ellsbury's on the roster. If Clint Frazier is your is your de facto DH, um, I think Clint Frazier needs time at AAA. He he was not good last year. He was not good by really any metric. He had a really nice looking swing, and that's about it. And I'm not convinced that Clint Frazier is is a above average major league hitter at this point. And that's I, I and and so at that point you're starting to sell out your DH spot and you're almost better off with Ellsbury, uh, which is, excuse me, something I think worth avoiding just a, just a note there, but I want to move on next option. Uh, we've talked about him a lot in this podcast as well. Mr. Todd
0: Frazier. Let me jump in. Cause I like him a lot as an option, actually for, as an option for two reasons. First is the versatility thing, because I don't have confidence in Headley staying healthy, both as he ages and because his ups and downs seem to be health related. But also for that reason, I think Headley's just better if you can rest him without playing a scrubby guy like Therese out there as his replacement. So I think if Chase Headley has to play only four days a week at third base and then can DH some, that would be better for Headley's offense even. And Frazier could rotate in. There's enough time between third base and DH to say both of them, they're guys in their 30s, they will hit five days a week as between third base and DH. And then there's some days they'll both sit. Um, and then he can back you up at first base if Bird proves brittle. In other words, Fraser or Headley combined are both the backup first baseman and third baseman. So you even if one first baseman or third baseman goes down, you never have to play a scrub. You always get to play an above-average hitter. And secondly, he is a righty who hits lefties well. So if Bird proves to be a platoon player or needs a day off, a week at least, to stay healthy or just as a good idea to rest him every now and then, or in a double header, then you can rest Bird against the tough lefty and play Frazier. In other words, there's some platoon value to having Frazier as the guy, rather than just to pick some other thumper who's a low average guy, like Jay Bruce, who's also a lefty who can't hit lefties.
1: All right. What contract would you offer to Todd Frazier?
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's the the question.
1: Because I'm kind of with you. I I agree with everything you said, and he, he actually graded out much better on the StatCast analysis than I expected. He was actually a little bit unlucky last year um, and is pro- not that much different than Carlos Santana, uh, at least by StatCast numbers. But I'm concerned about the contract. Um, MLB trade rumors are predict- projecting him for something like three years, $36 million, which seems like a lot to me, uh, especially since I'm not sure how many more years he has of being productive. Um, so what would you give him a three-year contract? Would you give him a two-year contract? Would you give him only a one-year contract?
0: You know, I give him the three-year contract because in a way – Todd Frazier is worth $36 million on a two-year contract or a three-year contract, in a sense, or close to it, in that, look, if Todd Frazier called you said, you know, I have confidence in me, I'm going to be playing until I'm 45, so if you can give me more money per year on a short deal, what do you give me on a two-year deal? Well, on a two-year deal, he's worth 15 or 16 a year. On a three-year deal, he's worth maybe 12 a year. I'm making up these numbers, but the point is that, you know, I think that this doesn't break the bank, given that his projection is that on both uh Fangraphs and Baseball Reference, that he's not really going to decline next year, neither of them thinks. And I think if you get to play him only five days a week, he's less likely to decline. And rotating through DH, he's less likely to decline. So I think that if you sign him for three years, at something like 12 or 14 a year even, he'll give you excellent value for that. He's going to be an above-average player, say 2.5 war, or like Fangraphs says 2.3. I think he's easily going to be worth something like, you know, 15 to 18 or more or 20 next year. Well, I guess war goes for almost 10 uh, million a war. So I think he's definitely worth it. I would sign him for anywhere from, you know, 30 to 38 for three years.
1: Paul, I want to keep moving. So tell me, would you trade for Jose Abreu?
2: No, that's that's not the player I would trade because, um, again, I don't think you have got a lot of positional flexibility with him. And um, I, I, where's he going to play? First base, outfield? I, I think we're set in those spots.
1: All right. Uh, last but not least, the last player on my list, maybe this is just a quick no. Uh, Scott, how about Jose Bautista? Uh,
0: You know, uh, no, but that's probably because I just read that Rafael Palmeiro is trying to come back at age 53, and I think he probably has about as much in the tank as Jose wait, Bautista. Wait, 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 wait.
1: He's trying to come back at age 50. Rafael Palmeiro is trying to come back?
0: Oh, yeah. No, this was the – you must have not, you know, been on the I same Twitter feed today. There articles literally today. One is entitled, Has Rafael Palmero Lost His Mind? That's my favorite title of the book.
1: <laughs> I, I see it coming well, up the, Google Google from
0: right Rafael is, the quote is, there's no doubt in my mind I can do it. I've taken care of myself really well. I've been working out for years. So, sure, maybe you invite Batista and Palmero to spring training and let them fight it out and let it be a little reality show of, you know, senior citizens day at spring training.
1: All right. Hold, hold on. Hold on. So let's say Palmero accepts a, a spring training invite and he looked really good in spring training. Not like he's going to run anywhere, but he's going to hit some balls.
0: Do you, Would you do it? I think I kind of would. No, I never would. That was my way (laughs) of crapping Batista. I mean, there's a real story about Palmeiro, but here's the thing because nobody that age I think can get around on today's fastball velocity. I mean, even before the fastball velocity spikes the last couple of years, nobody could get around in a fastball by the mid forties. And I say that not just because I'm 44. I never could get around in a good fastball, but the point is that I think there's zero chance he could do it. Even if he feasts on crapo pitching and spring training by hitting the mistakes that are more plentiful there. But I was saying that just because I think there's a lot of evidence that Jose Batista has absolutely nothing left.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you there on Batista. All right, one more name that I, I forgot to mention, Marcelo Zuna. Would you trade for him? Call up Mr. Derek.
2: If I'm calling up Mr. Derek, uh, I understand he's probably going to San Francisco, I believe. I'm, I'm, I'm making a blockbuster deal, and I'm getting Giancarlo Stanton. That That's what I'm doing.
1: So – so we we've talked about Stanton on the podcast before, and my it sounds like he's going to he's going to San Francisco at this point. Um, I, I I'm with you though there there though I I would I would trade for for John Carlos Stanton. Uh, but let's assume that's not an option. How do you feel about Marcelo Zuna?
2: I'll, I'll answer that. Oh, um, I, I I just lost his name. Who's the um, number twenty one? Uh yeah, yeah, that's right. Christian Yelich, so you're thinking of? I, I, I answer different. You knew his number. Damn, that's good. That's impressive. Thank you very I, got much I couldn't get his name, though. I'd get him. <laughs> I like Yelich. That's who i go for.
0: I'd go for either of them in the following way in that um, you know they've both been really excellent players coming to their own. Also, I think whether it's Jeter or others in the ownership, I mean, I don't know in the black box who's really making the baseball decisions, uh, but their decision making seems so bad so far. I mean, they were one of three teams that did not put in a bid for Otani. And on effectively wild, the <laughs> podcast, the way Jeff Sullivan referred to it is, even if you think you have like no chance, assign, he didn't say this, but assign the damn intern to write the two page love letter to Otani to see if who knows, maybe he really just saw something on the discovery channel he about Disney Cuban world. I mean, yeah. Brady loves Cuban food. And he just had, you know, he just had a Cuban sandwich the other day, or he, really thought he wants to be near Disney world because I go every day. I mean, he seems to have weird criteria. There's zero He's reason not to love the movie forward. chef. I mean, that's an option. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. So, you know, you just saw Heat or something in the movie. So for whatever reason, there's no reason not to do that. So it's possible that the Marlins are the dumbest front office in Major League Baseball now. It's a little like the saying, if you can't spot the sucker at the table, that means you're the sucker at the table. I would probably be calling Derek Jeter right now. losing Yes. Him yes. By, and say, hey, I really hate to press you, but like, I need to pull the trigger on trading up a prospect something else. You know, what do you need for Ozuna or Yelich? Uh, but I just need to close it during this call. And just hoping you t- agree to some stupid-ass thing and just give them to you, you know, right away for, you know, something like Justice Sheffield and Eric Kratz for Marcel Ozuna or something like that. I am totally with you there. Like, I I think there's
1: – Derek Jeter does not sound like he's – off to a great start no. as president of operations or CEO, whatever the hell he is uh, with, the, with the Marlins. And I love Derek Jeter as a person, love him as a career, with a career as a Yankee, <laughs> but I want to fleece him. Yeah. And I'm totally with you there. Like I'm Brian Cashman. I'm, I'm doing everything I can to get Marcelo Zuna or even like D Gordon or something like that.
0: And it doesn't because even matter if you have excess because you can so possibly get surplus value out of trading – Garbage for Ozuno Yelich, for example. Maybe Jeter turn, will – Just flip him, flip him right like, after you like, trade maybe, for him. <laughs> Or trade somebody else. Then maybe Jeter loves shortstop prospects. Prospect you say boy, Kyle Holder's look great in the Arizona Fall League. Can he send you this YouTube clip of how great Kyle Holder looks in addition to that defense? He's now, not like a young Jeter. trying to
1: save Kyle Holder here. This is, this is
0: not – got to get a little more realistic than that. Dyro Estrada is like a young Derek Jeter. You you know? ask, we can. If you find that Jeter has a soft spot for a certain kind of prospect – or is open to something weird like volume of mediocre prospects? Then you just feel out what he can do, and even if you get an outfielder and you don't need an outfielder, well, hell, then you know trade a outfield prospect or trade flip the guy. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm totally with you there. But again, I would like to move on on the subject of trades. I wrote a post at BP Bronx uh, this uh, uh, this afternoon. the The argument, and I'll, I'll link to this this article in the in the show notes. The argument that I am making here is that the the it's, it's prospect list season, and people are starting to put out their Yankee prospect list. Baseball America put theirs out earlier this week. John Sickles is putting these together right now. Um, Josh Norris of Baseball America said that he thinks that the Yankees have a top three, far, have definitely have a top three farm system in baseball, and might have the best farm system in baseball. This is after trading away roughly ten real, in some cases, very good prospects uh, at the trade deadline. The Yankees are still that incredibly deep. Um, and 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 are that good of a, of a farm system? John Sickles uh, he kind of rolls out his prospect lists like in lumps, which is a little bit annoying. Uh, but he identified 83 different prospects in the system, which is by far the largest of any system. Uh, we we won't know until the FanGraphs system comes out where they rank every single player. But it looks like the Yankees have a ridiculous farm system, and and a farm system that I don't think I've ever heard of a team having. And that's great. And that, that's a very good thing. Part of the problem, though, is that the Yankees don't need a deep farm system right now. Like they, they have a lot of long term players on their major league roster right now. And maybe you get unlucky with some of those players and some of them get injured or, 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 or end up being pretty bad or something. You still have tons and tons of excess capacity that the Yankees aren't going to be able to use um, had they not gone on like the trade deadline spree, they would have gone wiped out at the Rule 5 draft this year. And next year, they're going to get wiped out at the Rule 5 draft if they don't keep trying to free up roster spots on their roster. And to me, that means that, that the Yankees should be trading for – instead of signing free agents, trading for good players – using using their good players to um to to fill these holes if i'm the yankees i trade anybody whose name is not estevan floriel or Gleyber torres um and i and i start thinking about and obviously not trading all of your prospects but thinking about even even losing like in absolute value some trades in order to bring really good high quality young players to this roster players like christian yelich and marcelo zuna uh so Paul Paul you wrote you wrote something similar on on Star Spring the news,
2: yeah, and I did and i my argument was before it looked as though uh Stanton this is like three weeks ago was going to I think it was at Thanksgiving I wrote it um before it looked like he wasn't going to come to the Yankees. I just put out my my pitch saying the Yankees are stacked in almost every position they have a guy at the major league level who's young and who isn't going anywhere so so you have all these shortstop prospects or um and infielder prospects, you've got Gleiber and you've got Nick Solick, and you've got Miguel Andujar. All those guys are are are, are infielders. You don't have spots for all three of them. Um, you have uh, you have sixty seven thousand great pitchers coming up. You don't have spots for them. The the starting rotation is all under under thirty years old, except if you get Cobb or CeCe. But the, the top four guys are still going to be under uh, thirty years old. So what you have to do is you have to then leverage these prospects for major league talent who can who can help. And um yeah, I agree with you. I've never seen a farm system this deep, this good, especially a Yankee farm system this deep and this good at the same time of having a major league team that's this good and this young. So, yeah, they have to they have to do something. They all these guys aren't going to be prospects forever, and they have to either come up or get traded. So, it's time to skate. Scott,
1: what do you think of our of of our argument? Yeah,
0: I agree with it. I hadn't thought of it before, but I would probably start shopping around guys who aren't the say top two to three prospects to see if he can get someone in part because I have faith that they have been getting good. They've been getting good guys in trades. I mean, Paul, you and I came up watching the Yankees when they did stupid stuff like Jay Buner for Ken Phelps or things like that yes. uh, that I still have nightmares about, but they haven't done that in a while. And I just started counting. They've done a really good job of trading for guys in their mid twenties who still have a lot left in the tank. Sometimes guys have been underperforming where they were, so, just off the top of my head, I scribbled down Gregorius, Hicks, Pineda, Evaldi, uh, Chad Green, Tommy Conley, and Sonny Gray. Right. This actually is more guys in their mid 20s than most teams can land in trades. Normally, you don't get guys who are on the upswing like that with maybe two years of major league experience who still have upside or can retain what quality they have for a while. So, yeah, I would love to see them do something like call up teams and dangle hey, uh, I have a list of 10 prospects. They're basically our prospects five through 15 or whatever it is, Jake Cave, McKinney, or whatever it is. And pick a couple of them for your insert um, name here, good to very good, but not superstar, mid-20s starting pitcher, or maybe this DH person we're looking for. And I think you can get a lot of value that way. And, you know, you just whether they should trade for a starting pitcher or fill that DH type spot, we'll see which you get a better deal for.
1: Yeah. And I don't know how business is done in baseball, but this just seems like a no brainer to me, honestly, Um, because the Yankees, the Yankees have too many prospects and, and they, the baseball is set up to prevent a team from having too large of an organization. Um, they'll start losing guys, not just to the Rule Five draft. But they'll lose guys in like the Double A round of the Rule Five draft at this point. And and that and, and the and the team is good now. Like if the team wasn't good right now, I would say hold on to guys and and see which ones pan out. But the team is ready to contend for for the division for the World Series. I think you you need to go out there and get better at DH and get better at third base and maybe get better at second base and left field and and you know start thinking about. About you know what opportunities are out there that don't require money, and the money is a big issue here. The Yankees are are pretty much capped at about twenty five million dollars for the remainder of this season, and that's a problem. We got we got to think about that. Um, but any money that you save by trading away a bunch of guys for uh, you know for a, a really good you know, player is that's money that that can be used to sign Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, Clayton Kershaw, etc. And, and in fact, those are two of those players. Our players, I think they should really be thinking about. Like, if the Nationals have a bad year, they probably won't, because that division is horrible. But if they have a bad year, they might be looking to trade Bryce Harper. You know, if if the Orioles continue to be the Orioles, maybe they look to trade Manny Machado. Uh, and I, if I'm the Yankees, I'm all over that, because it, it also just gives you a chance to re-sign that player a little bit earlier, earlier, a little bit better chance of being that team. And I think that's totally that that's a that that's the option that they they should they that's what they should be thinking about because um, it. it money, money unspent. If they have every position filled with good young players, then they essentially don't have the opportunity to spend money, which I'm sure doesn't sound like a problem to Hal Steinbrenner. Um, But it is excess capacity that, that is, would also be wasted if you, if you didn't use it.
2: Uh, Agree. 150 million percent. You can't, you can't use all these guys. So the time is now to leverage them to, to get really superstar Top end players who can then complement the roster and make the team actually that much stronger and 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 dominating. What? The- so I, I agree
1: with you. I agree with you that if they if there are top end players available, the Yankees should be all over that. And I think that I would go even beyond that. I would say pay extra for a backup catcher who's better than Austin. Oh, Robert. I don't disagree. Um, uh, and I don't know who that player is. Like I'm not familiar with the backup catchers of the world. Um, but, you know, maybe if you're trading for a starting catcher caliber player, a JT Real Muto, maybe if Derek Jeter would like to get rid of him, um, you know, to to play. And then all of a sudden, maybe Gary Sanchez can DH a little bit more. And you're a little more comfortable with that. So, something like that is, I think, is 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 an option. I think they need a really – they could really use a strong left-handed middle reliever, right? A Justin Wilson type. And I think that they could trade for one of those guys. And – Again, I, I, I'm actually advocating bad quote-unquote bad trades. Trades where one team is clearly a winner in an absolute sense. But I think that the Yankees, because they have the excess capacity, it could benefit them to make a trade that many teams would consider them to be the loser in.
2: The Yankees have always been built around... Um players who complement the rosters even even during the steinbrenner years but but who weren't necessarily paul o'neill you want to you want to or you want to go to reggie jackson who was a free agent but um or or Daryl strawberry Daryl strawberry tim rains what you do is you you, if you you use the the resources that you have and the yankees always have money but if they're not willing to spend that money the resource they have right now is this unbelievable minor league talent so i agree with you you use that to leverage to say we're going to have the best player that we can possibly get, which they basically have, but then the best backup guy. So I would, I would, I would definitely go out and get an outstanding backup uh, catcher. And, and again, maybe you don't have to uh, sign Frazier because you can use these guys to get yourselves a high quality third baseman. And maybe in that trade, you let uh, Castro go and that maybe gives you some uh, salary relief and then Gleber play second base or, you know, figure it out there's Nick Solik plays second base and after a couple of uh, months in the minor leagues, maybe he's ready, whoever it is.
1: All right, Scott, any last words before we end?
0: No, totally agree. Just following up on that point. If you look at the sheer number of outfielders they have who are good, not super duper prospects, you have Billy McKinney and Jake cave are clearly ready to hit in the majors. And there's absolutely no room for him. If they end up with room for them in half a season or another, well, you know what else you have? You have three guys at, who got promoted to AA last year, who hit really well after they were promoted. That's Jalen Jackson, Jeff Hendricks, uh, Tito uh, Tito Polo. And not that any of them are world beaters, but the point is, one of those three is going to end up being good in major league ready at AAA this year. So you have such a glut there, and then some right handed arms that are probably bullpen guys that you basically lose nothing. Like Paul was saying, you have a glut, you can't play all of them even this year or next. So if they were to give up one of those good, not great outfield prospects and one of the good, not great, right-handed pitching's arms these are guys who'd be top 10 prospects in a number of systems if you're the number 15 the yankee system you're top 10 somewhere you know trade two of them and see what you can get
1: all right well on that note thank you guys for joining me thank you everybody for listening this has been your bronx beat podcast
2: and now an ad from dad all right save money on car insurance when you bundle home
0: and auto with progressive can i take these off all right what is this this looks good wow that's what man. where did you get this